Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 16. In your New Testament scriptures, Romans chapter 16. And I will read verses 1 through 17 here in the final chapter of Romans. Verses 1 through 17, of, or excuse me, 1 through 16 of Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chentria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Lord Jesus Christ, who you are the central message and figure of this word. And Spirit of God, thank you for being our teacher, for breathing out this word, and that we have it today to read and by your illumination to understand and to reflect uh, the image of God to the world. So do that for us today. Be our teacher and give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lists of names can be powerful. The most visited site on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. It attracts over 5 million visitors each year. And its main feature is a massive wall, really two walls in a V-shape of black granite that contain the names of the 58,000 servicemen and women who died during the Vietnam War. And there's also a plaque. It was placed later in memory of those who later died as a result of their service in the war. And the goal of a memorial, according to the Department of Defense, is to be a symbol of enduring legacy, healing, and education. So the memorial exists to teach us something about history. You learn about the war when you visit the memorial. It exists to bring healing and comfort to those who served or lost someone. And it intends to honor the sacrifice of so many who gave their lives in 
that war. One student who visited the memorial, he even reflected, when you step off the bus and walk towards it, it's like there's this invisible force just constraining you to be silent and to reflect as you examine the wall. So perhaps some of you have been. I'm sure it's a very moving experience. Well, we are almost to the end of Romans, and what meets us here at the end is not another reflection on human sinfulness or justification by faith or Christian living, at least not directly, some of those are under the surface, but a list of names. And Paul concludes this letter, as many letter writers did in his day, with a series of personal greetings. He greets 25 people by name. Others by description, such as sister or mother. He greets two households and multiple house churches. And while this may seem like data that, okay, it's interesting, but, you know, we could skip it in order to get on to the next thing, this nameless actually functions as a window into the work of the gospel. It's like what we saw last week with Paul's travel plans. It's not just details. It's intended to be a window or a reflection of the work of the gospel in people's lives. Ordinary letter conventions, boring conventions, can actually reflect a theological story and have relevance to our lives. In fact, the very way Paul begins uh, this chapter, he connects it with last week's passage. It's almost as if he's trying to say, okay, those virtues that I set before you last week, here are people who exhibit them in their lives. So let's look at these Greetings. Let's see what a list of names can tell us about the gospel. And it will tell us several things. We'll just look at two today. And the first thing that this list reflects is the importance of women in the work of the gospel. And I'm leading with this because, one, the first name Paul mentions is a woman, Phoebe. And, two, the emphasis on women is one of the dominant features in the list. And that would have been a little unusual in Paul's day. So Paul begins in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chintria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now, I've called this passage a list of greetings, and it is. But before Paul greets people, he first introduces Phoebe to the congregation. And he uses the word commend, which communicates this idea of bringing people together, starting a new friendship, recommending someone to someone else. Paul wants to forge a relationship between the Romans and Phoebe, so that they will welcome her when she arrives. We'll say more about that in just a moment. So who is this woman? And why does Paul want the Roman church to receive her? Well, he calls her a deacon in the church in Chentria. Now, this description raises some questions. Because in 1 Timothy 3, verse 12, one of the qualifications of a deacon is that he must be faithful to his wife. So thus, the office of deacon is often restricted to men. And in addition, there are many places where the Greek word translated here by the New International Version as deacon, uh, it's also simply translated as servant, and that includes when it refers to men. 
So various men and women are described as servants in the church. So it could just be a very general use of the word. At the same time, when Paul uses the word deacon, sometimes he uses it more specifically. Sometimes he uses it broader than the way we use it in the Presbyterian church. He can use it to refer to himself. He can use it to refer to other co-workers with him who are even administering the word. So when you look at 1 Timothy 3, when Paul is discussing the office of deacon, he does refer to women who must be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. It's sandwiched right there in the middle of the description of deacons. There is a reference to these women. And I don't think personally that Paul is referring there to deacons' wives. I think he is referring to a group of women who assist the deacons in their work. And that's been built into the infrastructure of our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. So could Paul be using the word here in Romans informally in order to describe Phoebe as such a woman? Those are all of the options in front of us. And we could spend all of our time this morning trying to solve the debate of Phoebe's title. I think it would be more profitable for us to look at her function. Why does Paul introduce this woman to the Roman congregation? What does the text say that she actually did? I think we can focus our attention there more profitably in order for us to be able to follow her example. So why lead the list with her? Why introduce her to the Romans? Because she was likely the person who delivered Paul's letter to the Roman congregation. You see, in Paul's day, the postal service was for government, official government use only. So the general public did not have a system that they could use for mail. So most people sent their mail with people headed in the same direction. Paul had a habit of sending his letters by means of his co-workers. They would take his letter to the church. But not only would they deliver his mail, they would also read the letter to the different groups addressed. This was, again, a standard function in the ancient world. And that letter deliverer, who is now reading the letter, would then be available to answer questions about the letter. And if need be, to deliver feedback back to Paul or back to the author. So the letter carrier functioned as an agent of the author. That was how letters worked in the ancient world when it wasn't government use. So it says a lot, doesn't it, friends, about Paul's trust in Phoebe and the abilities she has demonstrated in serving the church in Chintria that he entrusts this great letter to her. I mean, what a thought to think that the first public reader, and in some ways interpreter of Romans, was Phoebe. And when you compare that with the lower position of women in the Roman world, this demonstrates the importance of women in the life and work of the gospel. Hence, John Calvin writes, in the first place, Paul commends Phoebe on account of her office, for she performed a most honorable function in the church. And since it behooves us to embrace in love all the members of Christ, we ought surely to regard 
and especially to love and honor those who perform a public office in the church. Calvin says we should honor people like Phoebe. And Paul asked the Romans to support her. Why? Because she's often been the benefactor or the patron of many people, including Paul. And so he commends her to the Romans when she arrives with this letter in hand. Now Paul goes on to recognize more women in the Roman churches. In verses 3 through 4, he greets Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers, In Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, we mentioned this husband and wife team last week while considering how Paul knew so much about the Roman church when he had never visited it. Well, again, he probably got most of his information from Priscilla and Aquila. And as I said last week, we first meet Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. So they join Paul. They accompany him on his missionary travels. They have a significant ministry of their own in Ephesus after Paul leaves, including discipling Apollos. Apollos comes up in 1 Corinthians and other places in the New Testament. They disciple this man in the faith. Now, interestingly, when we first meet Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is named first, and his name occurs first in the greetings to the Corinthians. However, in the other four instances where they are mentioned, Priscilla is named first. So they were clearly a husband and wife ministry team, but she may have had a more prominent role. She may have been the better known in this husband-wife ministry team, hence Paul mentioning her first And most of the times he refers to this couple. And then in verse 7, Paul greets Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So here is another husband and wife team whom Paul commends for their service to Christ, which includes suffering. Now some translations render the phrase, outstanding among the apostles as well known to the apostles or highly respected among the apostles. So the difference is this. Does Paul include this couple with the apostles or does he describe them as known to the apostles? Well, at times when Paul refers to the apostles, he refers to the original 12 or a special late edition as he was. But he also uses the word more broadly, and I'll give you the notes or the references to these if you want the notes. He can use the word more broadly to describe a larger group of people, people like Barnabas and other named people who, like the original 12, are sent out, that's what apostle means, to start new churches. So think missionaries or church planters in our day. These would include husband-wife teams. And I think Paul recognizes this couple as an outstanding example of such a team, taking the gospel even when it means suffering. These are the women that Paul recognizes in detail. Sometimes listed alone, like Phoebe, sometimes included with their husbands or mentioned before their husbands. 
in the case of Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul also quickly greets, in verse 6, Mary, who worked very hard for you. In verse 11, Tryphena and Tryphosa, women who work hard in the Lord, and Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. In verse 12, Rufus's mother. In verse 15, Julia, and also Nerus's sister. So in a list of 27 people, at least 10 of these are women. And Paul commends them for their service to the church, not just in the areas of cooking or cleaning or childcare, which are all valuable works. But these women did more than that. They enriched the life and the ministry of the church. And one author writes this, the low value of the female in Roman society was also reflected in the widespread practices of infanticide and abandonment of female babies. It was very common to raise only one daughter per family, which together with maternal mortality contributed to a shortage of women during the Roman Empire that created a population crisis. Therefore, when Paul gives honor and recognition to so many female members of the Roman church in Romans 16, it stands out as a significant deviation from the cultural practice and ideal. And friends, I would submit that is because of the power of the gospel. So Paul in this list shows us the importance of women in the life of the church. Secondly, he shows us the Catholicity of the body. Now, when I say the word Catholicity, perhaps you think of the Roman Catholic Church, and maybe it causes you to bristle a little bit. But Catholicity is also used by Protestants. It can refer to ideas held in common by all Christians. And so more specifically, Catholicity highlights the connected nature of Christ's church. So throughout these greetings, Paul refers to several house churches. We read in verse 5 of the church that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's home. In verse 14, Paul greets Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. And when you get a chunk of people like that, it sounds like it's more than just, oh, I know this group of people. It sounds like Paul is greeting an assembly. The same thing goes for verse 15, where Paul greets Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. And then Paul also lastly greets those in the household of Aristobulus and Narcissus. He could be referring there to house churches. So you get the impression from these greetings that there were several assemblies of Christians in Rome. Yet when Paul writes his letters, he often addresses them to the church singular in such and such a city. So the many churches in Rome made up the church in Rome. At the end of the day, we are all part of one church of Jesus Christ. Our particular church and our denomination, it is one expression of God's Catholic church. And we also then see the Catholicity of the church in the different kinds of people that make up the church. So one author notes two things about this whole list 
of names. One, a majority of the names are Gentile. And two, the majority of the names are those of slaves and freedmen. You can actually identify a person's status by the particular name that they bore. And when it comes to Gentiles, that's an ethnicity that was excluded from Israel's religious life by and large. And when you think of slaves, that's a class of people typically excluded from social inclusion in the Roman world. Well, the gospel saves those kinds of people. In fact, it saves all kinds of people. When Paul says that it's the power of God unto salvation, Jew and Gentile alike, he's trying to say everybody's included. I heard one person say, when you read in Romans 3, all have sinned, here in your ears, both have sinned. As in both people groups, Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is a great equalizer. No people group is excluded. No social class is excluded. No background, whatever you've done with your life, is excluded. The gospel brings to pass the promise made to Abraham. Through you I will bless all peoples on earth. That's why Paul celebrates in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one and Christ Jesus. And before we leave this point, notice that Paul recognizes this diverse group of people as one in the Lord and as his equals in the Lord. He calls Priscilla and Aquila his co-workers, co-workers in Jesus Christ. Andronicus and Junia, the outstanding apostles, they've been in prison with Paul. And they, they were Christians before him. He's quick to say, Urbanus is another co-worker in Christ. Those various women who work hard in the Lord. You don't get the impression, do you, that Paul thinks he's superior to any of these folks. In fact, he puts the spotlight on them as he wraps up the letter. And these friends are the qualities that the gospel produces in a Christian community. And we've got several more to look at. We'll probably be able to tackle all of them Next week, But as we come today to the Lord's table, let's give thanks to God that he's included us in his people, that he's brought us into his body. And let's pray for the grace, especially as we're communing together. Let's pray for the grace to live out these ideals. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your great grace. And thank you for what the gospel does to humanity, which is by nature alienated from you, alienated from one another, and sinful rebellion far from God, chasing after uh, the things that are contrary to your will, as Aaron prayed at the very beginning of the service, a a bent, uh, a natural instinct to go away from you. And yet you, by your grace, reconcile us to you and to one another, you invite us into uh, your fellowship, to the table, ba- banished from the garden, banished like Cain, and yet brought back now through the gospel, through the grace of God, to the presence of God. So may we know that presence this morning, and may your truth, your spirit, your love, and grace transform us, and help us as a body to live out the ideals that you've given us according to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As the men come and make ready the table, let's stand and sing hymn 705, I Know Whom I Have Believed, and we'll sing just the first three verses before communion. Hymn 705, stand with me, verses 1, 2, and 3.